Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Okay, good morning, everyone. It's great to share the Word of God with you this morning. God's going to do great things. Rob believes it. You believe it. There's a man with faith there. <laughs> God always does great things because that's what he does. <laughs> okay, can I ask you a question this morning? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, what day is it? Sunday, that's right. It's Sunday, that's right. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I asked you what day it was, and it was Pentecost Sunday, wasn't it? Would you know what? Today's Pentecost Sunday. Every day is Pentecost Sunday because God is pouring out his spirit on the church, empowering us to fulfill the Great Commission. So it's not only a one-day event, it's an all-life event. And so God's going to do great things today as well. <laughs> okay, yes, we're continuing this series from 1 Corinthians 13. And in particular, we've come to verse 6 in that chapter, and, uh, which I'm going to read to you in a moment. But I just want to ask you a question first, and that is, has anyone ever told you the truth? Sometimes it hurts, doesn't it? You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were at a, a 99th birthday party. Okay, this lady was 99. I've known her for many years. She used to be in the church, one church that I pastored, um, but I hadn't seen her for many, many years. And so we went to the 99th birthday party, and everybody was there. And, you know, her memory is going a bit, but there's a lot to remember after 99 years, isn't there? So, um, so we came in the room, and, and they were introducing people to her, and they introduced Elizabeth, my wife, and she said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. And then she said, I came in, she said, oh, I remember him, though, she said. She said, I do remember him, she said, but he was uh, not quite so big then. <laughs> Rotund or something used. What was really used about anyway? We won't go into that. Uh, but that is true. That is true. I'm just a bit bigger than I were in those 15 years ago. But there, still, there you go. Anyway, <laughs> but um, as I said earlier, we're looking this morning at 1 Corinthians 13:6. We've been looking at this subject of of love or love is um, since Easter because it is such an important subject. So many things hang on it. And I'm going to read verse six to you. It says that love does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is, is a pretty personal letter by Paul. He really, not that he didn't love any other churches, but, but Corinth held a special place in his heart. We know we have two letters that he wrote. He founded the church. He sent others like Timothy there, Titus went there, Apollos went there as well, and uh, began to build up the church. And he always loved the church. So it, it's a church, it's a letter to the Corinthians about church business, really, and how to conduct church, what church should be like. It was a city known for luxurious wealth and pleasure, and so he was helping them not to get involved in the bad side of that, and, and how to behave, conduct and behavior, as well as some doctrine as well. So, and it's a foundational letter, in a sense, how believers should live their lives. And of course, we've got this very well-known, probably one of the most well-known parts in Corinthians. People who don't even read the Bible know this chapter. It's read at weddings and things. Um, but it must be taken in context of the whole letter and, of course, the whole Bible um, itself. But somebody once said this statement. They said, what is truth? Do you know who said that? Conscious Pilate. That's right. In a conversation with Jesus, Pilate said this word, this question. He said, what is truth? Um, and since then, you know, and before then, people have always sought for what truth is and what it means. But the context of this particular verse that we're looking at today 
is that a person should rejoice in truth, not in iniquity, not in things that are done wrong, but should rejoice in truth. You know, there are examples of that, and one that I can think of is gossip. There's no gossip in this church, is there? I hope not. You know, gossip is divisive, it's destructive, and the Holy Spirit just backs off when people gossip about one another. Um, that's just one small example. But other, there are many other examples of truth in people. Now, um, there is a story, a true story, about a young man who was an administrative assistant to a director of a big retail company. And one day they were working together in the main office, and the phone went, and the administrative, he picked up the phone, he, you know, who is it? And it was a certain person on the phone who the boss didn't want to talk to. So um, he said, it's so-and-so. And he said, oh, tell him, tell him, I'm, tell him I'm not here. Tell him I'm not here. He said. So the, the guy said, tell him yourself. <laughs> of course, the boss was not happy. He had to take the call. He dealt with what he had to deal with. And then he got the phone. He put the phone down. He said, why did you do that to me? And he said, if I lie to him, I'll lie to you. And the boss, instead of taking out his wrath on this guy, thought, I've got a good one here. Eventually, the guy rose through the ranks and became the executive director of that company because he always knew he could trust that man to tell him the truth and not a lie. So there's a lesson there in all of us, to all of us, isn't there, about that? Now, I've got a couple of quotes here by Mark Twain. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. It's true, isn't it? What did I tell that person? What story did I, what yarn did I make up? No. And another one, which you may have heard of before, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. I would say with social media, it's before it gets out of bed, actually. But, um, but it's true, isn't it? Lie can do a lot of damage and travel around, and it takes a lot of repairing afterwards. Um, but it's what's interesting and helpful to us in 1 Corinthians 13 is that Paul personifies love. He makes it out like a person, isn't it? So you can see what it's like to behave with love, with God's love in the power of the Holy Spirit. He, we can see it as a person. And we see in many other places in the New Testament um, and the Old about God's love and what it means. And in 1 John 4, 7 is one we've mentioned quite a few times where it said that, says that God is love. Now, we mustn't get that the wrong way around because love is not God. Okay? We can do that sometimes and have a wrong picture of what God is. But a definition of God, God is love. But he is not only defined by that. He's defined by other things as well. And in fact, if you go through that, that chapter 1, John 4, you will find that the outworking of that love that God has for us is shown. And it's in that he sent his son to die for us, the ultimate sacrifice. So there is an outworking of God's love, and that is to love others. Not just love those, not just love God, but to love others as well. And that's pretty, pretty key. Now, some of you may have heard, <coughs> excuse me, of this, the greatest commandment or the golden rule. Okay, very, very familiar scripture. In fact, we've used it quite a bit um, in this series, but let's read it again. So this is Matthew 22, 36 to 40, greatest commandment. Somebody said to Jesus, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, you may know that scripture, you may not, but that is not where it originates from. Okay, if we go back a couple of thousand years to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, we find here the central tenant of the law, the law of Moses, the law that was given to the 
to Israel, to the Jewish people when they were separated out. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, that is a key and important prayer in the Jewish prayer book. Every child is taught that. It's so very, very important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a theological declaration, but it's the beginning of the outrolling of how to live before God, the law that was given to God's people to separate them from the people around them and make them a nation. Now, um, a couple of weeks ago, you may remember Deborah speaking on listening and hearing. It was excellent. You should listen to that again. Um, But she spoke about the importance of hearing. Now, in Hebrew, you have a lot of good word pictures that help explain what things mean. Now, this word shema, or hear, um, if you could describe it as a word picture, it would say, let this sink down into your ears. Okay, that's a picture. That's a good thing of what that actually means to people. Don't just hear it, but actually let it sink down and let it make a difference to your life. And this prayer is central to Jewish identity. It puts God where he should be and man where we should be. Now, during the Second World War, as you know, over six million Jewish people perished. One and a half million of them were children. Um, but many children were hidden in people's homes, in convents and monasteries, in schools and all sorts of different places. And after the war, several years later, many uh, rabbis and other Jewish leaders went out to find these missing children. Now, they'd been there. They had the language of their nation. They'd been there a number of years, some from a very young age. But what they actually did was to go into the schoolroom and to go into the, the, the monasteries where there was lots of children together and to begin to write, Shema, Israel, Adonai, Elihinu, Adonai, Ichad. That's it in Hebrew. And as they began to say that, the children jumped up and finished the sentence because they had been so taught this prayer in their lives. So it's very important. The greatest commandment. That's what it is, the greatest commandment. So let's look at a couple of definitions on those two words just very quickly. To love God with our soul is to love him even if our life is to be taken from us. And to love him with all our might, with all our possessions, everything we have, everything we own should be devoted to the love of God. At the centre of the law of God is an absolute devotion to God and a love for God and then out to other people as well. And to recite this, this prayer, this Shema, to, re- to recite it, is what is known as taking the yoke of the kingdom upon you. Taking the yoke of the teaching of the kingdom upon you and bearing that yoke. Now, we've heard that word before, yoke, haven't we? Other people use it. It's not about this. You know that, don't you? hope you do. Um, it is about this. That is a yoke sitting on, uh, not the two brown things either side. Uh, what sits on top of them is a yoke on the oxen normally or some sort of a cow. And so they, they, they fit this yoke upon there and they can pull things and carry things and do all sorts of other stuff as a, as a beast of burden. So that is a yoke. Okay, That is what a yoke looks like and that's what it is the picture that it's giving us when it uses that term in the Bible. Now, I'm going to give you a bit of Christianese, like a bit of Christianese. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Have you heard that? You may have heard it, you've been in church long enough, and you think, yeah, it does. What does that mean? <laughs> it's one of those Christianese terms that you sometimes hear in church. Okay, well, it comes from this verse, which is wrong. It should say Isaiah 10. Thank you for that. Those are pointed out. Isaiah 10, 27. Have I got it right this time? At 10.27, I don't know where 11 down here, um, but in, in Isaiah 10.27, it says, It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder, 
and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. There, that makes it clear, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> now, this, the context is Israel are in slavery to the Assyrians. It was a hard burden, a yoke upon them that was hard to bear. But God is saying, or God, the, Isaiah, the prophet is saying through this, that because of the anointing upon you as a nation, that yoke will be broken because you have a purpose in God. It's a promise given through Abraham, Isaac, right down through to the promise of David and those promises. And he's saying that one day that yoke will be broken because you have a purpose and a promise, an anointing upon you. And us today, we're like that. As servants of God, as, as, as children of God, we have a purpose and a plan. And to fulfill that, God will break every yoke from us. That's a privilege we have, that we will be free to serve the purposes of God in our lives. How do we do that? Okay, let's look at this one here, Matthew 10. Oops. There we go. That's the one, isn't it? Yep. Matthew 11, sorry, Matthew 11, 27 to 30. And here we see the yoke appear again. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is referring to that yoke of taking teaching, taking the kingdom upon you. And he's saying, take my teaching upon you. It is still a yoke, okay? It's still a commandment, but it's easy and light compared with what their situation they were in. And further on in 1 John 5.3, John says these words, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So we're beginning to build a picture of how we have true freedom. And that is through obeying commandments. It's taking on a yoke of obedience. Now, here's a couple of other scriptures that relate to this. Okay, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. We spoke about that earlier on. Um, and then Romans 5, 8 is a demonstration of what this love means. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we see the relationship with the Father and the Son, which is what we can have in that way. John 17, 26, and I've declared to them your name and we declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So there needs to be a demonstration of this love in our lives as well, a love that not only loves God but loves others. It's worked out like that. That's how we see a demonstration. And this personification in 1 Corinthians 13 helps us to see how we work it out. Now, I mentioned earlier, didn't I, about Pentecost Sunday. Now, the name Pentecost, where we use that word, which means 50, doesn't actually originate there. It's an agricultural festival. But most of all, it's a festival when the Jewish people remember that they were given the law. It's a celebration to them. They say it was when Moses received the law because it was when they were set free from slavery and they became their own nation. So they celebrate the law. Sometimes, you know, as Christians, we don't like the word law. We see it as a negative sort of word. You'd be grateful if someone broke into your house that someone would come and arrest them, wouldn't you? I mean, there's a, there's a positive law, isn't it? That's true. But um, sometimes we say, oh, we're not under law, we're under grace. But we don't really see the context of what Paul is saying there in Romans. And we say, oh, I don't have to follow all these laws about planting certain crops and wearing mixed garments. And no, we don't. Um, but actually, when Jesus came, he didn't come to free us from the law. He came to free us from sin. That's what it was. That's what we're bound up by sin. That's what he came to set us free from. Um, in fact, if you think of Romans, where that verse about grace and law appears, actually, he's writing to the Romans. He's writing to 
Gentile Christians who never had the law. He's helping them to understand the Jewish people and the law, but he's actually writing to them. He's saying, you know, that, that's his audience, if you like. So he's doesn't, it's not that we can throw off everything and just live as we like. That's not what that means. You know, the law was never slavery. It was a gift from God to tell people how to live so that they could live free. That was the purpose of it. Now, later on, the Pharisees made it, took it beyond the law and made it very religious. That wasn't the idea at all. Now, some of these laws, and there are 613 in the Mosaic Covenant, some of them are to do with the priesthood and to do with sacrifice and are not relevant because they are fulfilled in Christ, the high priest, the great priest. Um, so some of them are not. Mixed garments is about not wearing the same clothes as the high priest. So they have, don't have that relevance in the sense of we don't have to keep them. But the moral purpose of the law, the moral purpose of the law is still applicable to us that we should live right before God. So law is a positive word, isn't it, in that sense? And, you know, the correct definition of the word law in Hebrew, if we look at it, is like when you fire an arrow at a target, okay? You fire it and you want it to hit the mark, don't you? You want to get right in the bullseye. Well, the idea of the law is to show us the right way to live, to send us in the right direction and to help us to live right. That's what it means. Now, if we read this psalm, which I'm not going to read to you this morning, because if you didn't know, it has 176 verses, so it's the longest psalm. But the interesting thing about that psalm, if you open your Bibles now or look on your electronic device, is that any verse, there is something in common with every verse. And that is it either has the word law, commandments, precepts, word, testimonies, statutes. They all mean the same thing. And the psalmist is saying, how I love your law, how I rejoice in your statutes, how I thank you for your word. He is so excited about God's word. He's so excited. How much do you love God's word. Does it mean that much to you? Do you rejoice that you have God's word, revealed word to you? We should do. Every year, Jewish people have this ceremony. Okay, They read the, the, the Old Testament round in one year, and at the end they have a ceremony or a celebration called Simchat Torah, which means rejoicing in the law. And here they are, they're carrying the scrolls from the synagogue, and they're rejoicing and singing and being excited about the fact that they have God's word. And... Um, they even did it right through the Second World War. This is in the Lord's Ghetto in Poland, rejoicing in the law. And when it was taken from them, they used a substitute like a piece of wood just to say they wanted to rejoice that they had God's law even given to them so they could live free and live knowing God. Now, I want to know and ask us a question. When was the last time we rejoiced and sang about having the Bible? Did we ever jump up in the morning and say, thank you, God, and take your Bible, maybe it's on your phone, you know, and, and rejoice and say, God, thank you for your word. I'm so overjoyed that you've given me your word and I know how to live because of that. That's a bit of a challenge, maybe. <laughs> okay, let's move on from here and begin to see what I mentioned earlier on, that this love, this truth, this love for truth, how does that work out? Okay, so here are three scriptures from John. And he says in John 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, Jesus speaking, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 14 of John 15, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You know, I don't like that idea of being commanded. If you went into work this, uh, tomorrow, okay, and your boss started commanding you around, you would not be happy, would you? Maybe your boss does. Talk to him about it. Um, but, you know, we don't like being commanded, but actually Jesus says, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. I don't mean mind being commanded, by the way, by the person who created the universe, because he's, you know, I think he knows what he's doing. 
Anyway, 1 John 3, 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So there has to be an outworking of this love for truth. You know, David, King David, fell spectacularly with Bathsheba. Adultery and murder. You can't get much higher stakes than that, really, can you? But when he was restored through the prophet, he said these words in Psalm 51, which is his prayer of repentance. In verse 6, he said, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. He knew that God looked on the inside and saw what the heart is like. It's not outward showing, although it should affect what we do outwardly. It's actually the heart that God looks at. And that's what he desired. Now, John 14 is a very good chapter to read on this whole thing about keeping God's word and commandments. I've just got a couple of verses. John 14, verses 23 to 24. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that wonderful? We come and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So it's about obedience to God's word. He's not coming to hit us on the head, but he's saying this is how you can live free. This relationship, surely you want a relationship with God. Well, this is how we do it. It's not meant to punish us or condemn us, but to lead us into a relationship with him. And then in John 15, verses 9 to 10, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So he is the great example, isn't he, of that, the example of everything. And there are many other chapters. One John is a good book to read. There are other places as well. But I've got a bit of a definition for you here. Christian love has God for its main object. We saw that in The Greatest Commandment, didn't we? Okay. Its expression is, first of all, in obedience to his commandments, doing what he says. So it's very basic, isn't it? Do we love truth? Do we love truth? Do we love God's word and do we love truthfulness? And the only way to orientate that in our lives is to love the truth of God's word. That is ultimate truth, the word of God. And so that's where we have to come to, first of all. And true freedom comes through obedience. When we are obedient to what God has called us to, then that's where freedom comes from. Now, if you committed a crime worthy of a prison sentence, you would go to prison and you deserve it. I can't disagree with that, can we? It would be. So you should. Um, but, because we, but we're free today because we haven't committed a crime. Unless, you're, of course, you're an escaped prisoner. <laughs> Hand yourself in. Um, but last year, I committed a crime. I did. <laughs> this is confession moment now. I committed a crime. It's on the next page. Can I press the button? Um, I drove at 56 miles an hour in a 50-mile-an-hour zone. It was a dual carriageway, you know, and they normally... Anyway, now I'm justifying myself, aren't I? Okay. <laughs> Speed camera caught me, and <laughs> I had to drive 150 miles because Dorset don't have an arrangement with anyone else. I had to drive all the way to Dorchester and do a speed awareness course and then come back and then fly off to lead a mission thing. So I, d- I didn't need the hassle. <laughs> I didn't need that sort of stuff going on. But actually, I deserved it. I didn't get any points because I did that. But, you know, I broke the law. And that's what the law said. You can't drive faster than 50, and I drove at 56. And so there you go. I served a sentence. Um, But Elizabeth and I know a chap who's been in prison now for over 20 years. He did do a very bad crime. He 
He's been there for 20 years. He became a Christian while he was in prison. He also studied and got a first-class honours degree. And uh, God has really changed him and really transformed him. And he's written a couple of letters recently. They've let him out on sort of day release, and he's gone back in again. But he's getting ready to come into freedom after 20 years in prison. And he's naturally nervous about that. But he's served his time, and he will be completely free. You know, but if you obey the law, then you are free, aren't you? If you do what is right, you will not be um, locked up. And in the same way, if we're obedient to the commands of Jesus, we will live free as well. Let us look at this verse here. Now, this is from Luke chapter 4. Jesus is in the synagogue, and he's announcing his public ministry. Okay, And he says these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that is his declaration, his beginning of his ministry, if you like. Now, he is quoting there from the book of Isaiah, and the original context in the book of Isaiah was freedom from slavery. It's talking about the fact that the children of Israel came from Egypt, from slavery, and were brought into a place of freedom, free from the constraints of slavery, but not free to do as they like. Okay? It is actually called a bi-directional release, okay? a bi-directional release. Release, okay? Being free from one thing to another, from a negative to a positive, okay? So what that actually means, this is a wrong definition. This is what it does not mean. True freedom doesn't mean the power of unrestricted self-determination, okay? And true liberty does not mean the scope to act as one pleases. What if everybody did just what they felt they should do, just what they wanted to do? What a disaster life would be. And I tell you, if I did that, my life would be a disaster. I'd, I would think I was free, and I wouldn't be free, because I'd be tied up in all sorts of sin and all sorts of problems in my life if I did what I wanted to do with my own desires. So Jesus is not proclaiming there a freedom to do as you like. He's not saying you're free. Do what you want. That's, that's liberty, it's called, or license, rather. That's license, to do what you like. And that is not what Jesus is proclaiming there. This is what he's talking about when he said those words. He's proclaiming a release from bondage and a compulsion to sin. Okay? He's proclaiming from enslavement under the power of Satan, free from that enslavement. Okay? And he is, that's, that's the, what, you're being, what he's being released from. And then two being restored in relationship with God. That's what the freedom is about, being released from that to that. And to serve him and find our true identity and calling in him. That's what that bi-directional release is, being released from something that is not good to something that is much, much better, finding our true identity in calling. You know, it's our normal resting place. That is what we're designed for. We are designed for a relationship with God. We are designed to live in fellowship with him. That is what we, God created us for. It's how we're created. So that release, that is, that is what it's for. You know, we can only attain that by devoting ourselves to loving God and living according to his commandments. That is the only way to get freedom. The only way to be completely released from that which binds us and destroys us and ties us down by reading and digesting the word of God, that is the basis of it, by reading the word of God and realizing the truth about ourselves and about the world around us 
and how we should live. Now, Jesus says these words. Jesus said this, said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, it's knowing the truth of God's word, living in it, abiding in it, saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to love you first, then I'm going to love others. I'm going to read your word every day, not just as a sort of a habit, but I'm going to take time out to read and to study and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring the word to me, to grow. You know, it's the truth that sets us free. That's what true freedom is. It's not doing what we like. It's living under the commands of the creator of the universe and living in relationship with him. And, you know, I love those words from early on where, where Jesus says, we will come and make a home with you. They're just wonderful words, aren't they? We will come and make a home with you. God wants to dwell with us and to be with us. You know, and today there may be some of you here and you think, I've never heard this before. You know, I've never been to church very much or I've been for years and I've never come into that place of relationship with God. And I'm stuck in, stuck in a rut and stuck in problems and I can't get my life right. Well, actually, maybe it's because you haven't submitted your life to Christ because you haven't said, yes, I'm going to come and live under your command and under your rule and in your love because that is what God's intention is. And when Jesus says that, as I said earlier about his commands, it wasn't to bring a burden upon us. It was to set us free into a relationship with Jesus. So maybe today that's what we need. As Christians, we can do that as well. You know, we've maybe gone a few steps, then we've sort of drawn back, and we think we've got our own ideas about doing things, and I know sometimes I do, um, but, but actually God says, look, just come and live in my word, live under my command, and you will be free. And as Jesus says there, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. God has great plans and purposes for everybody in this room. You know that? There's no exception to that. Don't say, oh, well, it's only me and I've got this problem and that issue. No. God is bigger than all those things. God has got plans and purposes. If we would just come to him and say, yes, Lord, you know, make my life better than it is. Lord, I give my life to you. I rededicate my life to be a servant of your truth. God will take us places and fulfill purposes that we could never have imagined if we just live in the truth and seek his word and seek his will for our life. Can I ask the worship team to come and join us? Thank you. <laughs> you want to come and join us. And uh, I'm just going to pray for us as we finish today because, you know, we all have something in our lives that we need to submit to God. That's true. Because there's always another level in God. You know that. There's always more. There's always more we can know of God. There's always more he wants to fulfill in our lives. And, and we don't want to miss out on that. I don't want to miss out on that. I want to be a servant of God's word, someone who loves the truth and follows Jesus. So I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes as I pray. And if there's anybody in this room at all and you particularly want prayer, if you raise your hand, I'd like to pray with you today. Anybody at all? Okay, let's pray together. Thank you. Bless you, thank you. Father, I do thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. And I thank you, Lord, that we have this promise that if we live in accordance with your word, that we will be set free. Lord, that is a promise of your word. So help us all in this room, for those who responded, 
I particularly pray for that area in their life that they may be struggling or, or they may just have a desire to go on. And that's great, Lord. And so I just pray, Father, for your blessing upon that response. And for all of us here today, Lord, we just give ourselves afresh to you. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to your commands. Help us to love your truth and to shun that which will hold us back and, and stunt our growth in you, Lord. We just want to have that loving, open relationship with you, Lord. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, worship.